Would you please pray with me and for me? Heavenly Father, we do come before you today submitting the words that we have read in our lessons today, all of them. We ask you, Lord, to write them on our hearts, imprint them on our minds, transform our spirits by your truth in those pages. Lord, let us rise to the level of seeking you, asking you, knocking, that you may enter in, that you may have your will and your way in the whole of our lives, not just on Sundays, but every single day of the week. Help us, Lord, be faithful. Holy Spirit, increase the measure of faith in each one of us. And let us lift that faith to the Lord that we may delight him and honor him. In Christ's name, amen. I read this quote and I wanted to actually start uh, with this today. So uh, this is a quote by a person called Jill uh, Caratini. She says, history is filled with the ebb and flow of influences and events, but of the creator who is for humanity, there is no greater unswerving influence. As David praised and Hannah prayed and saints and sinners will continue to discover, there is a rock of ages who longs for human flourishing. Hidden in the Trinity, clinging to the cross, loved by the Son whose suffering is a gift. We are freest when we cling not to idols or nations, but to God who so loved all creation that he joined us within it. This strikes at the heart of every single reading today. I do believe God is at work in all of us, revealing and convincing us of just how much we can be influenced by the secular culture norms and practices. What we read, what we hear, what we see, and our interactions with others who don't hold to our beliefs. We are being taught and warned through our scripture readings that our Christian character is of vital importance to God and that we should be on guard for what can influence us or persuade us to veer away from our kingdom culture in present reality. Christianity wrestles with societal norms, vacillating between constructive engagement in the culture on the one hand and avoiding the worldly culture on the other. Those of us who have a few years on us have seen the shift, have seen how greatly the church has been invaded by the world rather than standing firm in orthodox faith invading the culture. We are now in a day and age where truth has become relative, a matter of one's own opinion or experience. There are no moral absolutes anymore, no firm foundation for what is right 
and what is wrong. Our ACNA communion was birthed out of a refusal to stand with tech, the Episcopal Church, and depart from and denounce historical Christianity. Living in the reality of kingdom culture in the here and now means living and growing in faith and trust, letting go the past, not yearning for what once was the good old days, or being caught in the burdens of those things done to us or done by us not being stuck in days gone by, but living fully in the present, in the here and now. Being actively aware, God is present with us and seeking to be present with him every minute of every day, while looking forward to the eternity to come, the culmination of God's kingdom being established here on earth once and for all. Putting all this in perspective, let me share something I recently read, and it concerns our Anglican liturgical season. What I read was from Advent to Ascension, the first half of the lectionary year attempts to answer the question, who is Jesus? The second half, from Pentecost to Christ the King Sunday, is named the season of the church and addresses the follow-up question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? The commonality of our recent lectionary readings and sermons are about this one thing. What does it mean to follow Jesus? The reality of kingdom culture and how it intersects and interacts with the character of our Christian life lies at the heart. Giving a brief summary of where we've been since Pentecost, my last sermon was on the practice and discipline of corporate worship, the importance of being together in worship and what we are to look for and the experience and God fulfilling his promise to be with us as we worship him. Serge's sermon a few weeks ago called into question the influences besetting us, driving us further from God. Father Jose's sermon a couple of weeks ago on prayer reminded us that our prayer life is evidence of our relationship with God. Last week, he preached on moving from theology to practice and moving from believing into behavior. Do you see the common thing? This week, we turn our eyes to the expectant trust that should characterize our lives. In Luke 12, 29, Jesus urges his disciples to dwell on no earthly concerns. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Instead, strive for God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In today's readings, the Old Testament, Abram, we see trust and believing, putting into action. 
in the New Testament, all the stories of faith, again, putting it into action. And the gospel, let your waist be girded, meaning stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, meaning live in the light of the kingdom, not in the shadows of the world. Now, in the light of such faith and trust, Jesus now invites his disciples to give away all that they have, and in the verses to follow, to look for Christ's imminent return. The edge in those last verses, reward for those who are ready, and what feels like a thinly veiled threat to those who are not, only heightens the sense of expectancy for and tension around Jesus' instruction to us. Does Jesus really intend for his disciples then and now to give away all they have? What do we make of the urgency of his instruction to be alert 2,000 years later? There is a verse from the gospel that wraps this in kingdom perspective. It is, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. This is the starting point and the anchor for everything else that we read today. It is God's intention, plan, and delight to give you the kingdom. If this is true, then disciples can indeed resist the seduction of wealth and material possessions, not fall prey to constant worry and anxiety, not sink in resignation or despair with the increasing senseless violence reported around the world, not become weary or disheartened with the foolish liberal views and behavior at work in the world. Disciples can share what they have, what they've learned about living in kingdom culture with others, and then wait expectantly, even eagerly, for the coming of the Son of Man. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As I said, this is the starting point and the anchor for everything else in our passages today. It is God's good pleasure, his deliberate intention, his perfect plan, his heart's delight to give you the kingdom. The point is not to glorify poverty. It is to elevate and extol generosity as a mark of our Christian life in the reality of today. Generosity of attitude, living, being patient, less judgmental, not shunning those who are different than we are, but by example and word, be a powerful witness that there is a better way. He expects us to give generously of our time, generously of our treasure, and generously of our talents. Kingdom culture in present reality is available to us now. Not only available, it's here 
already. We are living in the kingdom in which, by faith, forgiveness can triumph over revenge, hope over despair, joy over sorrow, generosity over stinginess, truth over lies, love over apathy and hate. These are the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven and are what transform and inform our character in the culture in which we live today. These are the characteristics that keep us from being influenced by destructive mentalities and lifestyles rampant in society. The point being, kingdom culture in the present reality of faith, faith that frees disciples to be truly generous, faith that enables disciples to leave behind worry, faith that creates confidence about a future secured not by human will or work, but is secured by God alone. The Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus commands his disciples to stay dressed for action. And dare I say it, dressed in your Christian character, living in the light with our lamps burning, waiting for the Son of Man to come again. The watchfulness and waiting that Jesus commands then and 2,000 years later is not an anxious anticipation of the end of the world because the world is getting so bad. It is an eager expectation of God's consummation of history. I don't think I have to tell you, but I'm going to anyway. Waiting is not a strong suit of humanity. Especially as we live today, we have not only grown used to, but expect instant communication and response and fast access on most everything. Cell phones, smartwatches, tablets, technology has put everything at our fingertips with the click or the press of a button. All that notwithstanding, the reality is still reality. We find ourselves in a constant state of waiting, waiting for someone to show up or something to change. We wait for lines to move, just go to the DMV, grocery stores, be on the freeway, etc. Waiting at appointments in doctors or dentist's offices, which is what is also true in our fast-moving access lives, we have become more impatient and more frustrated when something takes longer than what we expect. Most of us are waiting for the day we have more time, have more resources, have more freedom, convinced then and then we will be happier. How many times have you said, if only I had more time, if only I had more energy, if only 
fill in the blank. The potential problem of waiting is we either move into the past, yearning or longing for what was, becoming melancholy because the world has changed and become more complicated, or we move into the future worrying or being afraid of what will happen and how in the world will we deal with it. One big problem is that what we might, what we are afraid of for the future may never happen at all. All that worry, anxiety for nothing. Waiting in the past generally brings sadness or anger or guilt. Waiting in the future most often brings fear and anxiety of the unknown and our own lack of control over it. When we move out of the present, either way, into the past or the future, we postpone life in the present. I want you to consider this. The present moment, the present moment is a gift the Lord has given you. He has brought you to this very moment and if you're looking back or you're worrying about what is going to come next, you miss him and what he has for you. In the present moment, you miss seeing the opportunities opened up in front of you. You are blind, deaf, and numb to the present moment. Jesus does not eliminate waiting just the opposite. Be like those waiting for their master to return. But waiting is not simply a passing of time or looking into the future. It is about being present in the presence. Waiting while being present in the moment is an act of faithfulness. The assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Jesus is teaching us how to actively wait. He's inviting us to seek finding him, asking him for this moment, for this very moment and the next. Knock so the door to the kingdom will open. Listen for his knock. Watch and be alert. He's inviting us to be present in the reality of God in each other, in the world, and in ourselves. He says, be dressed for action. Something is going on right now, right here, and he calls us to be a part of it, to participate in it for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is for you. Have your lamps lit. There is something to see. Move out of the shadows into the light and see what is in front of you, what is all around you, what is within you for the Father wants you to have the kingdom. Truly, this is his invitation 
into blessing, to be fully alive, actively alert. 2,000 years later, we may, el may well ask, when is the unexpected hour? The closest answer and the most real answer is the unexpected hour in our lives is the on hour spent in the hospital waiting. The hour waiting for a call to hear news about someone we love. The hour praying for a miracle and then waiting. The hour we pray for clarity and a way to move forward. The hour waiting for grief to end and life to return to normal. The hour in which nothing seems to be happening. The moment in that hour we turn to him and then wait for him. He is present in our most unexpected hours. Let us be present with him, waiting for that unexpected hour of his return. As Jesus set his face on Jerusalem, who for the joy that set, was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Let us set our eyes on him who alone can transform us, inform us, and inform our characters by the power of his spirit at work in us, moving us deeper into the kingdom culture of this present reality. I believe the local church is God's plan from here until the second coming, and it is the hope of the world. If we who belong to the church just realized and acted on his plan, fulfilling our own unique part given to us by God, the church would be transforming the culture around it. The culture would be renewed. The goal of every local church should not be to build our own little separate kingdoms, but to push back the kingdom of darkness on earth with God's rule and reign through Christ. We are to do that not only by seeing individual lives transformed in our churches, but as local churches, transforming the culture around us. That is a quote by the Reverend Canon J. Philip Ashey, who is the CEO of the American Anglican Council, and he's hit the nail on the head. At the beginning, Jill Caterini referred to God as the Rock of Ages. So I want to leave you with this. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin 
could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall come close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Amen.